Okay, to be fair, I'm not a big cook, so I don't have a lot of these books. Host of Yours, a snack show. I know. <laughs> Matt, I'm really good at eating and snacking. Yeah, not yeah. so much reading and cooking. Welcome to The Snack Show with Jamie Fallon. We're just a couple gals snacking our way through life and talking about it. This is your first time in a podcast studio? I just laid the snack down is what I'm saying. Jamie, why in the H-E double pretzel sticks did we start a podcast? That's a great question that I don't remember the answer to. Hey, Snackers, we are honored to tell you about a fellow network show, Where We Are, with Michael and Melissa Ware. You may have heard them on episode 68 of our show, The Snack Show, talking all things presidential snacks. Y'all, it was such a fun episode. You have to go listen if you haven't. If you haven't heard of Where We Are, Where We Are is hosted by Michael and Melissa Ware, a lead strategist and European affairs specialist. This daily companion podcast to the Where We Are substack releases a long-form episode on Sundays featuring marital chatter which features original analysis exclusive interviews and curated news and content about faith politics and public life it's an awesome show y'all it is and monday through thursdays michael shares the morning five it's a five minute episode featuring current news and events in the political realm in a consumable and easy to understand way it is honestly one of my most consistent places to get daily news and it is definitely part of my morning routine it's true we're so thankful for this show so make sure you listen and subscribe today. Hey, snackers. Okay, if you're watching us on video, either YouTube or Spotify, you notice there's a special guest on the screen with us today. We are welcoming Matt Moore to the studio. Welcome to the snack show. Clap, clap, clap. Thank clap, you so clap, much clap, for clap, having clap, me. Clap. Thank you for being here. So if you haven't heard of Matt, you should have because this is his fifth cookbook. But we are celebrating his newest cookbook called Butcher on the Block. Uh, everyday recipes, stories, and inspirations from your local butcher and beyond. Okay, Matt, are you a butcher? No. Okay, tell us more. <laughs> um, my grandfather was a butcher. Yes. And for me, uh, sort of, I've written five cookbooks. Okay. Uh, first book was called Have a River for Dinner. Okay. Uh, it was me teaching guys how to cook for girls. And um, I got married, so it worked. Sure. And then. Wait, you weren't married when you wrote the was book? Was not married. <gasps> no. Yes. No. Wow. Okay. Single broke. um, Every single guy, know I'm going to send that book and just see if that that helps manifest it. I joke around. It was sort of like George Costanza. You know, when he said, "I'm I'm unemployed and I live with my parents." (laughs) I was broke and writing a cookbook, but I did I I did have an apartment by myself, and um, it it worked. And I did another book called A Southern Gentleman's Kitchen with Southern Living. Okay. And that was kind of my homage to um, the South, like what Uh it what it means to hunt and fish. And be curious about, you know, intellectual curiosity, chivalry, hospitality. Uh, Dave Haywood was in the book from no Lady way. A. Luke Bryan is in the book. Okay. Um, John Stinchcomb, a lot of different people, all the way down to Ernest, my cab driver that I met in Nashville that would smoke barbecue and then come pick you up on Broadway pre-Uber. And he oh would sell gosh. greens and ribs. And um, so those were my books about my recipes. Sure. And then I went on the road uh, with Andrea Behrens, who's a photographer here. And we wrote a book called The South's Best Butts, and we met pit masters all around the country. We told their stories, shared their recipes. Um, And then uh, that did well, and you're only as good as your last book. Sort of like a a restaurant's only as good as last meal. (laughs) Sure. Um, So that was low and slow cooking. And then we did a book called Cereal Griller, uh, where we traveled the country. And kind of similar, I'm all about like a diverse cast of interesting people. So we have two of the last James Beard best chefs in America, Michael Solomonoff up in uh, Zahav at Philly. Uh, He has multiple restaurants. And Ashley Christensen out of Raleigh, North Carolina. 
um, all the way to Cadillac, who cooks outside of the Claremont Lounge in Atlanta. And if you've never been to Claremont Lounge, you know what kind of place that is. And um, Butcher on the Block was sort of my opportunity to say, okay, I no longer want to be bound by low and slow cooking, Mm -hmm. hot and fast cooking. Mm -hmm. I want to have this wide array of all ingredients treated under every method. And because my grandfather was a butcher and served in World War II, I started seeing a trend where, you know, butchers and restaurants were starting to kind of co-mingle. Yeah. Um, and I have another business in the south of France. So in Europe, it's very common that the best meals that you get are actually cooked at the butcher shop. Um, huh. So in France, like, that's mm. the secret. Like, don't go to the cafe or the brasserie. You go to the uh, boucherie, uh-huh. and you have this incredible meal that you take home. Um, and so I started to find that. And we so started cool. at the butcher, and we found out that it's not just meat. Uh, it includes game, but it also includes seafood and vegetable butchering as well. Mm-hmm. So cool. That's one of my favorite things about this cookbook. Okay, to be fair, I'm not a big cook, so I don't have a lot of these books. Host of the Yours, snack show. I know. <laughs> Matt, I'm really good at eating and snacking. <laughs> not yeah. so much reading and cooking. Um, but I will say this is one of uh, my solo cookbooks in my kitchen, and I was reading through it. And it's cool because it's not just recipes. You're telling stories of these different butchers and and alongside the recipes. And I just think that's so cool that you're like intertwining stories with the recipes. Yeah, I mean, I sort of am, I'm not a journalist, yeah. I'm not a chef, um, but somehow I'm, I'm on the road and it's sort yeah. of like a TV show in the book. And sure. you know, I'm in a little 1976 Piper Cherokee that I fly to most of these destinations. And so awesome. I used to joke around when we saw the smoke uh, and we smelled the, the the barbecue, it was time to land. Saw the smoke's not a funny joke when you're at 3,000 feet in the air. Um, a tiny plane, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a tiny yeah. plane. But you know, that being said, um, it's a huge honor for me to share this platform that I built with a lot of really amazing people. And yeah. life is funny how you meet people. Like uh, there's a gentleman here from Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and I met him because American Airlines kept canceling my flights out of Williamsport and I went and had a great meal. And that night that I was there, I was sitting at the, the bar, and um, I remember specifically a uh, good-looking gentleman, uh, slick back hair, kind of a white chef's coat, and he was crying. And mm. um, we started talking. He said, well, my, my father passed away today, mm. and my family's here. Uh, and then we just sort of kind of had a few cocktails, and he started breaking out charcuterie and telling me all these things. And over the next few years, I would, I would be in Williamsport randomly for business or other things. Yeah. And we would always have dinner together, and five years went by hadn't thought about it much and it was basically my last decision on the book was you know where am I going to go next and I was like oh my gosh Vince Vince used to tell me that they would take a whole hog in Italian fashion and do these things and cure these so I picked up the phone I called him he said Matt Moore it had been five years I said Vince he I was like I'm doing this book man you're my last chance I said when was the last time that you actually butchered a hog Uh and he, he was silent he said not since my father passed and so we wow. put it together, flew to Williamsport. He brought his son in and his uh, cousin, and we did it. And I remember him sitting there. It was a beautiful, cool, crisp, uh, kind of a spring Pennsylvania day. And he had mm-hmm. a cup of coffee, a little bourbon in it. And he said, <laughs> you know, I can feel my dad here. And, like, that's wow. why I write books. That's the, that's what it's all about. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've looked at a lot of cookbooks, but the humanity in this one is, like, really fun. And the featuring of people. Like, yes. it's not just featuring a chef's it's not other about thing. me. Yeah. Well, and it's just, and it's also just kind of everyone. There's a guy from the Kroger here down yeah, the Tommy, road. Yeah, Tommy Kelly. Come yeah. on. Everybody knows Tommy. I can't wait yeah. to go meet him. Yeah. You got to yeah. get his number, and that way you can call him on like a, like, Saturday, you know, the Titans are getting ready for a Sunday. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, Tommy, I need about 20 pork steaks back in the back. Hide them back there. Don't tell anybody. I love Those it. are mine. Those are reserved. And there's, there's utility to the book that, like, I think that the butcher is part of the community, right? In the yeah. old days. Yeah. People would settle into towns based on if there was a good butcher there. That's cool. And during COVID, I realized that we had lost a lot of that interaction. Mm -hmm. And I would go to the grocery store. And remember, it was chaos. But 
all the boneless, skinless chicken breasts were gone. All the steaks were gone. All your pork chops were gone. But whole chickens were there and briskets were there and odds and ends and trimmings. And I was like, well, people just don't know how to cook these. And that was another reason that 100%. I had the genesis of kind of showcasing the alternative cuts that I think are really delicious. Well, and that's exactly what keeps you away from the butcher counter. I'm usually over by like the Oscar Mayer prepackaged deli meats because I can handle that. Uh, but to me, it's so like I feel like I should know more when I go up to the counter and I get so intimidated about like I don't even know what I'm looking at or how to prepare half of this or what I should be asking for. So if I go to the counter, what would you say should be like one of the things I just, I order, I say, Hey, I'm going to try this. And it's an easy, like first dip into grilling or cooking you know, hefty meat. I, I think that the butcher is the most underpaid cook chef recipe writer in the world because everybody says, <laughs> well, how do you cook this? Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, there's a call brand steaks, like your um, ribeyes and your fillets and your strip steaks. But like, I'm making an effort if you're just going to focus on the steak side of the house and be like, hey, what, what's good today, man? Like, you tell me what you have that's okay. different. And that actually is an exciting time for the butcher. Remember, they're in business, right? Sure. So their job is to sell you something so that you become a repeat customer. And the cool thing about the butchering world is, like, for me, living in East Nashville, I've got a, a plethora of places from Porter Road, who's in the book, yeah. to the Publix, to the Kroger, to the Turnip Truck, to the Aldi, and everywhere in between. Yeah. And it's about fostering that relationship. And I love to get on my bike and ride around and decide what I'm going to make every single day for, for dinner. In fact, uh -huh. that's what I'm going to do after I leave here. I don't know what's going to happen. I love and, it. you know, I think you ask them those questions. They may say, oh, actually, we just got in like a, a flank steak today. Or we got in a skirt steak. Have you ever tried that before? Oh, well, then just high heat, treat it like anything else. Can't mess it up. It's two minutes on the side over this, that, and the other. And, like, you get that kind of communication. And a lot of uh -huh. people, as I've been doing this particular book tour, as this book came out, a lot of people said, I'm intimidated by my butcher. I don't know to ask the questions. Sure. I purposely stay away from the counter. And they're actually, like, an expert that is sitting there, ready, willing, and able, right. and thrilled to talk to you. And that's why I kind of think that I wanted to bring that that character more to light mm -hmm. and celebrate this trade that's gone on since the beginning of time um, that has a lot of expertise behind it. Totally. Do you go to the butcher counter? I don't, but it's really interesting. Right after we talked about scheduling this, I was been rewatching Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is the 1950s or 60s. I can't remember. And they go to their butcher like every week. And there's just a, such this like community thing that we don't do huh. now. It's like, what can I buy without looking anybody in the eye? I self-check out. I right. get out as fast as possible. And right. so it's just sort of this like reawakening of how to do that part of life that mm -hmm. we don't do in the year. Or we order it, you know, on Instacart or all these totally. things. And we have no idea the quality of the food. Am I buying the right cut? Am I look, you know, they're going to look at, at 12 steaks and say, this is the one that you want because mm -hmm. it has the right content. It's the right cut, you know, depending on what your needs are. So like you, you've get a free resource that's there that's willing and able to tell you. And then mm -hmm. you've got folks like Porter Road that are doing, you know, amazing, like vertically integrated. Like we talk about farm to table and what does that mean? I mean, sure. God, we've done it since the beginning of time, especially <laughs> in the South. But those folks are really taking from from raising to fabricating to all that different process to dry aging, which really separates a lot of what they're selling to free range chickens and all these ideas. And like if you've never had a chicken from Porter Road, then it's going to change your life, right? Because it goes back to time of the original ways that they're, you know, humanely raising these types of animals. And my my grandfather, who was a butcher and owned a grocery store in South Georgia, he used to say for my grandmother's fried chicken, never fry a chicken over three pounds. You know, never yeah. eat a chicken over three pounds. Well, that's because it wasn't, you know, this processed uh, yep. world that we live yep. in. Yeah. That's fascinating. That is. Did you, um, do you remember your grandpa being a butcher? Like, would you go visit him? So his store had closed um, okay. right before uh, I was born. So oh, okay, my sister, okay. and I joke around about it in the book, 
uh, you know, she has all these stories where she was there and she had a Coca-Cola and all this. But, um, you know, my grandparents on all sides, uh, I was fortunate to grow up with all of them and, and have a relationship. Yeah. Um, and he passed away when I was in college. So okay. I do have these uh, just unbelievable memories uh, specifically of, of him, you know, uh, butchering in in the home because um, I come from a, a Lebanese family in my mom's side okay. South Georgia so we'd have fried chicken with hummus and tabbouleh and mac and cheese and oh, collard greens yum. greatest combination in the whole world right yeah but he would also have like butcher cuts of, of meats and um, I just remember it being a big part of, of what that was and so being able to go back to my cousin's and I still have his knife um, when he passed away and it's the sharpest knife that I have seriously wow. like it's just unbelievable so those <laughs> memories were really awesome for me to posthumously honor a family tradition that I was a part of. And I think one of the things that's been really fun about this book is when I tell people that this is what I did, everybody goes, oh, yeah, yeah, well, my dad was a butcher, or my aunt was a butcher, or my uncle was a butcher. Like, everybody has a connection to the trade. That's so cool. Hey, snackers. We love telling you about one of our favorite one-stop shops for all of your snack needs. Yes, it is nuts.com. And as Jamie said, nuts.com is literally your one-stop shop for freshly roasted nuts, dried fruit, sweets, pantry staples, like specialty flowers and more. The whole selection means that there's something for everyone. At nuts.com, quality is a top priority. They roast their nuts and pop their corn the same day it ships, so they will reach you deliciously fresh. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Mm -hmm. I super love their dark chocolate-covered cherries, the dried mangoes, and the dried roasted macadamia nuts. There is something for everyone, I'm it's telling you. so true. Okay, right now, Nuts.com is offering new customers a free gift with purchase and free shipping on orders of just $29 or more at Nuts.com backslash snack show. So go check out all of the delicious options at Nuts.com backslash snack show. You'll receive a free gift and free shipping when you spend $29 or more. That's Nuts.com backslash snack show. Okay, when you first started talking about this book, you talked about butchering vegetables. Yes, yes, Can yes, we yes, talk yes, more yes. about that? What does that mean? Because as I looked through this, there are some amazing non-meat recipes. recipes for those that are listening and watching that are like, I don't eat meat. So what is butchering vegetables? It's, I guess, something they do in San Francisco. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. No, I love it. Um, it actually started in New York. Okay. And so Cara Mangini is who we focus on in the book. Um, so when they created New York's Eataly, um, she had this grand journey from the corporate world to saying, hey, enough's enough, and I want to follow my passion. And she became really focused on this idea of making vegetables more the center of the plate. So she's not a vegetarian, not a sure. vegan, but vegetables are the center of the plate. And so when Italy popped up, that was really the, where the genesis began, is that she found out that a lot of people, if you're making a stir fry, there's a proper way to break down the elements from peppers to onions to broccoli or whatever's going into that, to a kohlrabi, to a cauliflower steak. And so she was there in the same way that we talked about, don't, don't be demystified and go through those plastic containers and just say, hey, look, I, here's a head of cauliflower. What do I do with it? Sure. And she would say, you cut it this way so it doesn't fall apart. And so it became a real thing. And then she um, actually is tied to, married to uh, some of the folks from the Jenny's Ice Cream side. So she was no in Columbus, way. Ohio, and ran uh, you know, her own restaurant and uh -huh. facility there. And when I met her, she had actually moved during COVID um, and said, hey, my family origins are, are in San Francisco. And she was living in her old grandfather's uh, home in the Cow Hollow district of San Francisco who was also a butcher, an Italian butcher. So it comes <laughs> full course. circle. But the idea is like, I, I, my job in this book is to 
uh, celebrate diversity and celebrate different ideas and celebrate the people that are doing that. And I'm just the the conductor of the circus, right? Yeah. I want you to sit right seat with me and meet these people and, and showcase what they're doing. And I think her mission is really, really strong. And it added up that, that extra pop of diversity and kind of the, the what. And <clears throat> when you eat her recipes, like, my mama makes a great carrot cake. But Kara's man, and it's like <laughs> it is like vegan and everything else, all right, those things. Right. It was unbelievable, and That's we awesome. we ate it like with our hands, you know. Sure, after sure, the shoot, sure. it was fantastic. I love it. Okay, what are some of your favorite recipes from the book? You know, um, there, the way the book is divided is yeah. we go out on the road and we meet uh, always it's twelve. I think there's power in the number of twelve, and we sure. always go out and and meet twelve different personalities. Um, and it's my job to tell their stories and get their recipes, right? Yeah. So. Um, probably the best bite I had was the first place we stopped, which is up in Cambridge City, Indiana. Uh, a friend of mine who's a filmmaker in Nashville had talked about his Uncle Jerry, Uncle Jerry, Uncle Jerry. And what that is is a fifth-generation butcher shop, uh, German immigrants that have come over, and they're a full processing facility, right? Okay. So they've built this incredible business. It's called Rim Foods. And we're there, and they're throwing a party, and they're doing the, the county fair burgers. Like up in Indiana, they eat pork burgers. I don't know if that, you know huh, this, but like – Wow, I've never had yeah, that. Yeah, they make it out of pork, and it's delicious. That's a great recipe. It's called okay. the County Fair Burger. Great. Indiana pork burgers, a big thing there. Okay. Um, but we're doing all these different things, charcuterie, and um, he's telling me the story, and I'm asking about the tools of the trade. It's my first interview for the book. He's like, yeah, you know, what we did is we worked such long hours on the line when – you know, people, they don't like to, to buy fat. And so when we trim the, the, the strips and the ribeyes, there's always kind of a, a fat tail and a little pearl of meat. And so, you know, we had to cut the fat tail off, but we trimmed out the pearl and we just soak it in some Worcestershire. And as we get hungry, we'd eat it. And he's drinking a scotch. I was like, well, Jerry, I said, I, I don't see that. I don't see that on the family table. No joke. He goes, give me a minute. He dr gets in his truck, drives uh -huh. up to the plant. Cuts and trims, soaks it in Worcestershire, and I looked at Andrea and I, and I ate it, and I get, I was like, "We're on to something." No like, way. One of the best bites, and it's two ingredients: it's raw really? meat and Worcestershire. Yeah, so that's a okay. a really interesting one. Okay. Um, I think one of my favorites. Um, I give up a lot of things. I give up my house blue cheese. There's always hot like chicken wings that sure, I do in the sure, book. Sure. I give up fried chicken, but I also my own blue cheese recipe uh, recipe that I said I would never give up. Uh -huh. I gave it up, and like I'm I'm not good for anything anymore. I've given up all my secrets. <laughs> I love it. I love um, it. but I think probably the star. Of the show that we've been doing on a lot of media that I really enjoy is a, a flank steak. Okay. Um, okay. And what the flank steak is a really beautiful, affordable cut. Um, it's a larger cut, so it's perfect for entertaining. And I have an open door policy in East Nashville. Everybody's coming over to my house. Um, so, you know, y'all, it's also, you're like, hey guys, it's awesome, but y'all are starting to get a little expensive too, you know? <laughs> right, so, right, flank right, is right. a great way for me to serve this. And so, uh, the actual striations of the muscle, we actually score that. And that's a kind of a butchering technique. So, a lot of the recipes you're going to find in this book have some tie to knife skills or butchering okay. or alternative ideas like a shrimp on the half shell that we're cooking like we do with redfish in Louisiana. We cut it on the half shell and we actually let the shell uh, preserve and kind of uh, protect the, the delicate piece of, of shrimp. So this is a, a flank steak. We score it, make it more tender, give it a little love, high heat, and then we take a, a page out of um, a great chef and pitmaster, Adam Perry Lang, that creates a board sauce. And the idea of a board sauce is that, in my instance, we take Dijon, we take capers, we take red onion, we take parsley, and then we we rest the meat on that. And it's just mm. this lovely melange of all these flavors. And then you slice the meat into that, super tender, against the grain, and you kind of toss it in the sauce of the natural juices, and it's a home run. And the way I know it's a home run is my mother told me so, because I still need that validation. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. Yeah. Um, I'm a big beef tartare fan. Yeah. Love it so much. Never made it, of course. But one of your recipes is like a steak tartare toward yeah. the beginning. Yeah, that's actually. That's, that's one I'm going to try. 
It's from the south of France. <gasps> and so um, nice. I have a business in Grasse, which is the perfume capital of, of of France. And so I spent a lot of time there. And I was just there a week ago and had uh-huh. a family dinner with Amory and Christophe, who are the, the butchers at Maison Maillard, which okay. is uh, uh, my, Maillard is a, a big term in cooking. The, May, the Maillard, I got to change the French to the English, the Maillard <laughs> reaction, uh, which that is basically. That was a Georgia, <laughs> not just American. Yeah. Uh, it's it's this uh, chemical dance between amino acids and and what happens at, at high temperatures, and so they have this beautiful butcher shop. And of course, when you get to France, I mean, you're like, what kind of recipes are you looking for? I was like, we came kind of for the tartare, right, you know? right, right. Um, but his technique is different, and so he's got some cilantro and some different ideas to it. Uh, but it. it's hand trimmed, right? So we talk about that a lot. Like if you're going to do something along the lines of a tartare or raw, like a carpaccio, remember you want to go out and find something that probably is cut that day and on surfaces that you know they've been in, right? So I might go out and buy a whole tenderloin, or in this case, they use what's called a faux filet. Um, and, and you can just break it down or grind it by hand. It's similar to what I do uh, in my grandmother grandfather's homage. We make what's called kibbe naya, okay. which is a Lebanese-style tartare okay. where we grind it three times. And so I have my own grinder, and I go pick up the steak, and I know what I'm working with. And you know what you're worried about, the reason like when people say there's risk of eating a burger to a rare temperature, well, you've Around that meat, which picks up additional surface area, and if you don't cook the internal side, then you may not know the quality of that. So if you go to good butcher shops and you actually grind it yourself or you ask them to do that fresh, uh-huh. then you have much more clarity and knowledge as to where that food has been. So tartare is something you can easily make at home, right? Yep. You just have to start with a really good quality of, of, of meat, if you will, a carpaccio. Sometimes the way we do that is we take a, a piece of tenderloin, we pop it in the freezer for a little bit. So the freezing would kill any bacteria on the outside, but we're not going to freeze the cut. But it also gives us utility with a sharp knife to get that really thin slice. I'll go back to Seinfeld because I have a meat slicer. Remember the episode? <laughs> yeah. where mm-hmm. got the meat? Yeah. That's me. That's me. I, I leave it, it out when the guests come too because I want you to see it. I want sure, you to sure, know sure. that I have the meat slicer. Yeah, I get it. I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's impressive. Okay, you answered my question because I got excited. And then I was like, wait, I don't have a meat grinder. But I'm just going to go to my local butcher, Tommy, and say, hey, can you ground this up for me for my tartare? Done and done. Put them to work. Okay, it. you said the word easily. I feel a little overwhelmed, but I'm going to trust you on that. If someone picked this up and was like, all things feel hard except for Top Ramen, like where would be a really good place to start in here? Um, She's talking about us. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah, using, yeah. I'm using air quotes and hypothetically somebody. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, my first book was Have a River for Dinner. Yeah. And the idea was that I'm going to teach the guy that, you know, has never cooked before. At the time, I was frustrated because if you went out to like the Food Network and the websites and uh-huh. you had the ultimate lasagna – you know, by the time the guy would go out to the grocery store and buy four different cheeses and three different meats and didn't know what, if he was going to be a good meal or not, he's already spent $150, he's upset, and then sure. you know, whatever happens. So I've always set out to have a goal that I'm I'm a cook. You know, I'm not a chef. And so how do we take five ingredients, ideally, and, and just a meal is only as good as your ingredients, and treat them properly and let that ingredient speak for itself? So you're going to have a ton of recipes in here that you'll see I'm purposely curating uh, to be very, very minimal ingredients. And so a lot of that happens yeah. to be like really good cuts of steak. So in my mind, I think like the the elevation of where you're going to pick up like from the more artisanal butchers, go to Porter Road and ask for dry aged. Like dry aged is a whole new ball game, right? And it's not what you're finding from a lot of your larger grocers or supermarkets. That's where they've taken specialty. And that's an expensive thing for them to do. Like minimally, all their cuts are dry aged for 15 days. A lot of specialty in that. We talk about how you can do that at home as well. So I'd say to you, like, like, um, you know, a perfectly cooked steak is something that you can go out and buy a digital thermometer, which costs you $9.99 on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And if you've never done it before, that's okay. Don't be too worried. Uh, cast iron pan, which costs you, you know, 
uh, lodge cast iron you pick it up for 20 bucks at a hardware store anywhere else and good butter and salt and you can cook one of the best steaks of your life if you focus on minimal ingredients and just the technique my job is to give you the technique to tell you have a glass of wine or something like that and calm down Uh, Uh, but you're going to find a lot of recipes throughout (laughs) this that are meant to be purposely not complicated just to pull off a meal that's exactly what i need non-complicated and i want to tell you what it is but it's coming up later i'm I'm going to give you the exact recipe oh yeah yeah yeah. okay okay um (laughs) also just as people are thinking if i saw this butcher on the block the most surprising thing what you don't know here matt is that Fowls are savory, and I'm, I'm our sweet person uh-huh. on okay. the pot. At the very back here, there's ice cream. Mm-hmm. I just want everyone to know that I'm <laughs> probably going to go home. Of course I found the ice cream, everybody. <laughs> and so you two can make Alaskan ice cream. We also just were in Alaska together we on vacation. So. Did you read what actually goes in it? Yeah, tallow. Uh, yeah, so uh, it is for like those that are paleo-friendly, right? Uh It's essentially taking beef tallow hot, so that's fat, that's the clear fat, and you basically emulsify it in the snow. That's what they would do with sugar or fruit. And so there's no dairy in it per se. It's actually just emulsified fat with sugar and fruit. Did you know what tallow was before this? I learned it earlier this year. Um, I was at like a farmer's market, and it was like a salve that you could buy. That's okay. also it's supposed this to be really good for like. This is the first time I've heard like, this word. So oh I'm yeah. Like, oh yeah. Tell so me. I learned, and so and it's for like um, scars or whatever. And I, they were so someone said you're putting beef fat on you, and I was like, if it works, it works. Yeah, I mean so. it's such a big and it, it's it's such a big byproduct of butchering that's used in all sorts of different applications okay. from. Uh, soaps to like mm-hmm. you mentioned salves and all different types of things so it's it I is this that. incredible utility that that's used and so I was trying to in the back of the book come up with we called it alternative cuts from cocktails yeah. mm-hmm. to desserts to a Yorkshire pudding which is very much based off that idea to infusing spirits um, you know because I Love want it, it to be a general kind of catch-all cookbook uh, whereas the last couple of books hey if you're a griller I'm gonna give you everything you need to know if you're sure. barbecue but this one is more for the everyday, you know, general cookbook because you're frying, you're roasting, you're yeah. grilling, and it's got all rest, uh, all ingredients involved as well. I yeah, love that. it is fun that there's also cocktails. There's a bacon boulevardier mm-hmm. and a bacon bloody mary. Ooh, I mean, you add bacon to anything, I am in. <laughs> yeah, you in. have to. I mean, I think the bacon trend is sort of, it's never over. I mean, no. everybody lost their minds about bacon. <laughs> You know, but it kind of started to calm down a little bit, but you still have to have it. You gotta love bacon. Yeah. Okay, we've talked a lot about fancy recipes. Matt, I just want to know, if you're going to the grocery store and you're like, I just want a snack on something, what are you pulling from the snack aisle? Is this my snack of the week? No, no, no. This is separate. <laughs> now you have to come up with two. I'm a... <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, I was prepared for this. I'm a, I'm a cheese and cracker guy. Okay. That's my snack. Love it. Like, um, you know, even like just... Just sharp cheddar cheese on right. a on a. I mean, I get bougie from time to time. You sure. know, I'll, I'll get my Pellegrino and my, uh, you know, very bizarre <laughs> kind of wafer thin crackers. But like sure. a Triscuit and a cheddar cheese. Now, my mom yes. will do it, which I love. Um, I just sometimes I'm too lazy. But there's nothing better on, on the planet than a cracked black pepper Triscuit, a slice love. a slice of extra sharp cheddar cheese. Yes. A thin slice of tomato and a thin slice <gasps> of Vidalia onion. Okay. Interesting. Ta-da. First time you heard it. That is, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm seeing the picture of the layers. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, I'm not out. I'm not out. I'm not either. Delicious. Okay, great. Trust me on this one. Okay, now let me even let me make it even more snackified for our listeners. It's got to be pre-packaged. Mm-hmm. It's got to probably be very unhealthy for you. Gotcha. It's got to have a bright color. What are you reaching for? Yeah, what's uh, your vice? 100% pork rinds. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> 
That's how I survived COVID. You know, the boxed rosé and yes. the pork rinds at 2 p.m. every day. Oh, I love Come it. on. Love yeah, it. of course. I actually heard that pork rinds aren't that um, bad for like they're they're a I mean, they, you know, in the in that low carb paleo world. Yes. But I mean, it, everything's going to kill you at some point. Sure. <laughs> sure. sure. Yes. You may as well just enjoy it. Yeah. Of right. I love it. I love Man, it. Man, boxed rosé and pork rinds. I didn't see that coming, yeah, but I appreciate it. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, okay, before we wrap up this conversation, we will move into a segment we prepared you for. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. It is time for Snack of the Week. We have a little jingle that's playing. You can't hear it, but it, it, it's I love playing. it. Um, okay, because you're a special guest, Matt, we want you to start out with your snack My of the Snack week. of the Week. Yeah. Okay, so I have this, uh, this bad habit that every time I go and do these types of things, I throw my wife under the bus, and today is no uh, exception. <laughs> um, my favorite snack is nachos. Okay. okay, he's in the club. Yeah, okay. you're one of us. Yes. Um, the worst person to eat nachos with is my wife. <laughs> because we've all been there, right? You get the nachos, and if they're uh-huh. not curated the right way, sure. they've got uh, the, a lot of the cheese over here. The sour cream is hers. Forget it. Like, I love sour cream, but she's going to take it. So she's that person that, like, you're in the group, and you're like, there's a little bit of chicken. I'll take this one that has, uh-huh. like, a little cheese. Maybe going for the guac. Maybe going for the salsa. But I'm going to take my time. Everybody else should take their time and I know what's going it. on. My wife's like, Mrah. No, she's, you know, oh, I, oh, right I off the top. Right? I respect her so much. So to solve this, mm-hmm. I... Um, I do what's called like the perfect bite nacho. It's something that we grew up with. Uh-huh. Think of like Chili's nachos where <gasps> yes. they spread the refried beans. Mm-hmm. They individually do the cheese, maybe the jalapeno, and then yeah. you can add from there. And so if you've ever made those, it's sort of a, a pain to make said um, you know, nachos. And one of my buddies uh, who is in Texas, and people from Texas like to take credit for everything, uh, he told me <laughs> one time, he was like, why are you, why are you doing all this work? You know, every chip and then they break, especially if you've got the like the mm-hmm. scoops. Oh, yeah. He yeah, goes, yeah. man, we just use tostadas. Ding, 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 Genius. ding. Genius. Big format. Yeah. Same pull off. And so instead of doing like 38 individual chips, couple of tostadas and there we end up is. with the tostada nacho, which is super simple. This is my easy recipe. And Y'all the idea the here was... Uh, leftover quesadillas, uh, tostada nachos, because you always have these things laying around, right? Uh-huh. It's a late night snack. Sure, sure. It's a kid snack for me. Very simple. Yeah. So tostadas changed my world, man. I, I don't. I don't Love spend 20 it. minutes doing the perfect bite nacho, and everybody's yeah. happy. And my marriage has survived it. Yeah, it's your own personal pan <laughs> nacho it. instead of 100%. personal pan pizza. I love it. That is a very. That's a blessing to everyone. That really we all, is. We all need to know about that. That really is. I love that tostada. Um, okay, Jamie, what is your snack of the week? Um, my snack of the week is I've been traveling recently. I've had this, hadn't had it in a while, and it just, I saw it as I walked by. Southern banana pudding. Mm. Hadn't had it. Have you had this? No. So, never even heard of it. I what? mean, banana pudding, but not But like with the Nilla wafers in and it. Isn't that just regular? I've, I mean, it's not just pudding. I don't know. Is it like pre-made and refrigerated? It was. It was because I was in the airport. But... <laughs> But the Nilla wafers were not soggy, and that's really what got me. That's a miracle. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so they had just made it and put it in, because I had to wait a few minutes. She's like, we just have to put it in the little things. And so banana pudding is my snack of the week. But it was titled Southern Banana Pudding? Yeah, I don't. Oh. That's what, I'm curious what makes it Southern. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe the hard Nilla wafers. I guess. I don't know. I grew up on the West Coast, <laughs> and I only knew my grandma, who was from Tennessee, made it that way uh-huh. with Nilla wafers yeah, I mean, and it's, it's... and cut bananas layered yes, sure. and then and baked. Sure, I don't know. It's delicious. It's great. 
whether it's southern or not, banana pudding with vanilla wafers. Love. And I, there was a little crunch because the vanilla wafers were still right, which you would have really loved. See, you say that, and I usually am a crunch gal, but banana pudding, I like the cookie sauce. Oh. What time You're... of day did this happen? At? <laughs> Please say early. Um, lunchtime. <laughs> okay. Oh, dang. I was at a, I was actually in the Atlanta airport. Oh, nice. On a layover. And the line for Asian food was very long, but there was a place that had sandwiches, and I saw banana pudding on the thing, and but I didn't see it out, and so I said, "Do you have banana pudding?" And she's like, "We just made some. I'll put it in our little and fresh she's banana a, pudding at was, the airport." Yeah, Man. that is the most surprising thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I love it. So, <laughs> what gate were you at? So the Atlanta I, folks. I don't remember. I have no idea. I'm so sorry. Oh, I've flown through the dang. Atlanta airport. I think Delta every or Southwest. Um, this was Delta. So yeah, yeah, I was gonna say Southwest, you'd be in C, but it's a it's a it's I'm a gonna, game where you I'm gonna A B guess or... I'm gonna guess B. I feel B. like I've gone yeah, through B like the B. most consistent, Shame. but I can't it was next to an Asian restaurant. So if anyone wants to find that in the Atlanta airport. It's strong that you pass up the varsity too. That is that. okay. Everything had chili in it, and that felt uh, like not a recommended before. A that flight. felt like a dangerous <laughs> choice on a second flight, and so yeah. I thought, you know what, I'm going to be, I'm going to think about future Jamie <laughs> and not you. current Respect one right now. Respect to the passengers, I, yeah. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Fal, what's your snack of the My week? Snack of the week. Matt, I think you're going to like this because you mentioned you, your go-to is crackers and cheese, so mm-hmm. I think this would pair well. Think about your charcuterie. This would be a nice additive. Sweet peppers with cream cheese and Marcona almonds. Love Have it. you guys had this? Love it. You've had it? Uh, I mean, I love the idea of it sure. in my mind. I've never had know. it with Marcona almonds. I've done yes. cream cheese on peppers with like a um, salami or some kind of meat. Oh, top. great idea. So I had a little charcuterie party at my friend Carrie Ann. So shout out to her. She's a listener of the pod. She brought out these sweet peppers. And I was like, oh, interesting choice on our charcuterie board. Mm-hmm. She's like, don't stop there. Grab the cream cheese. Grab the Marcona almonds. Put them all together. Y'all, my... F- Literally snack of the week, snack of the year, snack of the decade. It is so good. I can't even tell you. And it's so simple. I brought it to lunch yesterday, cut those suckers in half, <laughs> dipped it right into the cream cheese, added my little almonds. Y'all, I can't praise it enough. It is so good. It sounds delicious. It's so good. It sounds so good. It sounds like an adult version of what was the celery with the peanut butter and the raisins. Uh, ants on a log. Ants on a log. It's, okay. It's an adult. That's a, that's a hit in my it's house. An like, eight-year-old and six-year-old, yeah. you know. It's an adult <laughs> ants on a log. Mm-hmm. It would be um, maybe like uh, beetles on a bridge. 100%. <laughs> Start your own cookbook, Fal. Yeah, I Sounds got it. like it. If you need her for your next one, you can call love her. Collaboration? Good title. I love <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being here. And thank thank you. you so much for sharing this book with the world. I am so excited to dive into it. I'm serious. Beef tartare coming over? Yeah, happy to. Okay, what are you going to make for me? The ice cream. The ice cream or ice cream. Um, the catch-all salad, as I have went by it about four times yeah. today. It's yes. a good one. Feta makes it better. Feta makes it better. That is the name of the episode. That really <laughs> took my brain longer to process than it should have. I'm embarrassed by that. I love it. I love it. All right, snackers, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. And I'll eat more snacks before then.